Hey, welcome to the Central Westland Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. We hope that today you find God's Word to be encouraging, challenging, and inspiring your life today. We would love to connect with you through our Facebook page and Instagram page. All you got to do is look on Facebook or Instagram and search for Central Westland Church. Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Good morning, Central. Hope everybody's doing good. If you're doing good, say amen. amen. My name is Jam. For some of you guys who do not know me, which would be very odd because everybody thinks that everyone knows me. So that is me. I work over at, at Foster Street with Charles and M. Uh, Alex and those guys are phenomenal, and we're going to pray for Jern at the end of this service because, as she told you, he's going to have his surgery uh, this coming Tuesday. And so we really want to pray that God's hand is upon him and uh, he takes care of him in a mighty way because he's doing phenomenal things with you guys. But today I want to talk to you about two things. One is God puts us in a position where sometimes we feel like, why am I here? Right? And then we want to talk about that he gives us these flaws. And so we're going to look at these things. So what I want you to do right now is I want you to turn to your neighbor and I basically want you to tell them, you are the hottest thing I've seen today. Now, if you're by yourself and you don't have anybody beside you, what I want you to do is take your smartphone out, pull your camera up, put it where you do like a selfie, and look at yourself and say, you are the hottest thing I've seen today. All right? Now, tell your neighbor that again. Tell her you're the hottest thing I've seen today. you got to say it loud. Come on, look. If you're sitting beside your spouse, I want her to believe it, all right? I want him to believe it, even if it's not true for the guy, all right? Because I know, look, some of us just ain't blessed with looks, right? And so we're going to lie just a little bit. Tell them, say, you are the hottest thing I've seen today. Now look at him and say, but you got some flaws, now, we're not going to discuss what they are right here, but we got flaws, right? And for some reason, it seems like in our Christian walk, our flaws come out at the wrongest time. I mean, they come out when they shouldn't, right? We always make a mistake when we feel like, man, I should not have done that. Why did I do that? And they always come out at the, at the wrong times. Uh, we got our youth camps coming up. We got a golf tournament going on today where we're raising money for the kids to go to kids camp and youth camp. One of my biggest flaws when I was younger is I had fits of rage. And it was nothing for me. Like, I have been this height since the eighth grade. I, I mean, I had a quick growth spurt. I, I was this height. I only weighed like 110 pounds. So imagine, you think I'm skinny now, how bad I looked back then. And I always got so frustrated because, you know, you would get the names, you know, String Bean, Slim Jim stick boy and they were just oh I couldn't stand it and so I naturally got in a lot of fights when I was younger I didn't win any of them because look at me right it just was not possible but there was this one year I was at youth camp I was a junior in high school when I was actually pretty decent at basketball me and Jern we played a lot of times growing up and so we were out there and we were it was a Thursday 
And man, at camp, you had me, you had a guy named Todd McDonald, you had Chris Leroy and his brothers, you had Joey Key, you had uh, Jern started coming out there. And all the girls would sit on the bank and they would look at the guys and they would say, man, he's good looking. Man, he's good looking. Look at Todd McDonald. Look at Jern. Look at Leroy's. Oh, there's, look at Jam. He's so skinny. And, you know, I, and so that would infuriate me because then I would always try to embarrass the person that I was guarding because she thinks you're good looking, but I'm going to make you look like a fool. And so we were playing. At, in, at the end of the week, we always played campers versus counselors. And the counselors, of course, were youth pastors in the area, and they were great guys. And there was this one game my junior year in high school, and I can remember coming down the court, and I put a move on this guy, and I jumped, and he undercut me. And if you play basketball, you know you don't undercut somebody. So I remember turning around and looking at him and said, hey, dude, don't do that no more. I said, that's not cool. He looked at me and said, oh, it'll be all right. No, it ain't going to be all right either. And so I come down again, and he fouls me hard. And I look at him and say, dude, that's two for two. And this guy's a youth pastor, right? I'm a junior in high school getting ready to go to a Bible college to, to be a pastor. I tell him again, I say, hey, look, man, don't do that. You can hurt somebody. And he brushed me off again. I was like, fine, whatever. And so the game is tied 9-9. Nine to nine. You can ask Joey and these guys growing up, if the game is tied, I've got the ball, I am not passing it. I am the Michael Jordan of youth camp. I am Kobe Bryant. I am knocking this shot down. We're winning. Bottom line. I mean, everybody knew it. So I come down again, and this youth pastor undercuts me again and looks at me and goes, my bad. I thought, it's on. And I can remember turning, and I told him, I said, I'm going to get you, man. I'm going to get you. And I turned to walk away, and as I was turning, I was balling my fist up. And in my mind, I'm about to knock this dude out. I am going to cold cock this guy. Where am I at? I'm at church camp. We just had salvation services. Kids are getting saved. I'm getting ready, and I got my fist. I'm like, I'm about to knock this joker out. And I can remember looking back. I saw him. He had his head down, had no idea. And I turned, and I swung as hard as I could. And Charles has a brother-in-law named Barry Kelly. And Barry Kelly just happened to walk through, and I popped Barry Kelly right between the eyes. His glasses fly off his head, and I was like, shouldn't have been in the way, Barry. <laughs> and this guy, the youth pastor, looks at me, and I can remember saying, you Mother Teresa. But Teresa wasn't in there. I said, I'm going to get you. Before this camp is over, I'm kicking your tail. I am going to take you down, big man. And now I'm at youth camp. I am at our Victory Mountain Church camp thinking, I'm going to whip this guy's tail. That guy would have killed me, y'all. He looked like Juan. I mean, he was bub, looking good. I mean, he got me. And I'm like, I'm going to kill you. My flaw that I have, my fit of rage, came out at the wrong time. Your flaws that we try to hide are going to come out at the wrong time. And so this morning, we're going to look at a story. And we're going to see how sometimes we put our flaws on display in the wrong place. If you got that scripture, throw it up there. Matthew 16, starting at 13. It says this, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, 
he asked his disciples, Who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter. I love Simon Peter. He's crazy, right? This guy just speaks all the time. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Let's pray. Dear God, we're going to look at some scripture here today, God. And we're going to look at a guy that you spoke more about. He spoke more to you than any other guy. We're going to look at Peter. And God, how you chose Peter, despite all his flaws. And you built a church on this guy. So God, I pray that over the next few moments that you make this word come alive. And God, that you, you just loosen our hearts and our minds to what you want to speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're looking at here, right? Jesus has just called the disciples. They have went to this place called Caesarea and Philippi. And so what has happened is they were called into Jerusalem, and now they have walked 75 miles to Caesarea to where Jesus has asked him, who do you say I am? First off, I ain't walking 75 miles. I don't like driving 75 miles. Who has kids? If you were to go tell your kid today, I need you to walk 75 miles. What's your kid going to do? I like that laugh. What are they going to do? No. My phone won't last that long. I can't keep a charge. There's nothing to plug it up. They're not going to walk. I mean, I, I literally, for me, at 50 years old, I know I look 18, I literally hate driving to Greensboro because it's too far. I don't like going to High Point. I, I Just keep me in Asheboro. So I can't imagine we're going 75 miles in the desert, in the heat, for Jesus to ask some questions. I bet when Peter and him heard, follow me, they didn't think, dude, we're going to walk 75 miles. No, they had no thought about it. And so and they're going to this place called Caesarea. And Caesarea, if you don't know, it's not a church setting. It's not Jerusalem. It's not where the temples are. It's in the middle of a district of Philippi. So what Jesus is doing right off the bat, he's taking Peter and the disciples, who he called to do ministry, and he's taking them to unfamiliar territory. He's taking them to somewhere where they're not comfortable. See, in Caesarea, they're not going to be surrounded by priests, rabbis. They're not going to be surrounded by people waiting for the Messiah. I mean, it's not the Bible Belt. It's not Ashboro. You know, it's not where everybody claims to be a Christian. At this time, Caesarea was built by a guy named Herod and his family. Who knows who Herod is? Anybody? Ed, what's Herod known for? He was not a good guy. His family did what to John the Baptist? They cut his head off. Right? Okay, we're going to leave Jerusalem, we're going to leave the church setting, and I'm going to take you guys to Caesarea that's built by Herod, the guy who hates Christians. It's also a city that the Romans pretty much dominated. And so here we are. Caesarea is, has been called Panaeus, which is a Greek god called Pan. It's called City of the Wild. 
and it's still known that today. It's predominantly pagan. It's dominated by the Romans. It's dominated by Herod's family. And this is where Jesus is going to take Peter and say, Who do you say I am? In a sense, you would think, This is not where you get called. This is not a church setting. These guys could be killed on the spot. And you got to imagine, because you look through the gospel, Jesus is always out there. I mean, he's throwing it out there. So I can imagine when he does this, it's not like, hey, hey, come here. Who you say I am? Huh? I don't think it's like that. Because Jesus is all about, I'm going to let everyone know. I think he's in the middle of this pagan town. He's like, hey, guys. Hey, whoo, right here. Look at me. Who do you say I am? And these guys are surrounded by pagans. They're surrounded by the family who just beheaded John the Baptist. And here's Jesus putting them in this uncomfortable position. And it's got to be crazy. But I think what Jesus is showing, he's showing Peter, I'm taking you out of your church setting. I'm going to take you out of your comfort zone because these are the people who need me the most. These are the lost ones. So many times we want to focus on what's inside this building. We want to focus on what's inside of churches. But Jesus is showing people, I didn't just come for you. I came for those guys. I came for the ones who are surrounding us right now. So, yeah, this is the place where I'm going to call you the rock. This is the place where you're going to establish church. It's not going to be in Jerusalem with the rabbis and the priests. They know what's going on. They know the stories. They know the prophecies. We're going to the pagans, and you're going to take my ministry to the lost. That's what Christ is there. Man, you're talking about pressure. This is an 18-year-old kid who's just been called by Jesus, and I'm going to take you, and I'm going to surround you by pagans. How many of us have been in a situation, man, that I just don't want to be here? We've all had it, right? I mean, I was at a restaurant last night, and you could just see this one family, and you could just tell, this ain't about to be good. Because I've been waiting 30 minutes for my reservation. Ooh, because you, I mean, you know how that goes when you sit there for a while. And I'm sitting there going, man, this ain't going to be pretty. This is not a good situation. It's about to get volatile, and you know it. And that's where these guys are. See, Peter, I know he's seen all the miracles. I know he's heard the teaching. He's witnessed all these incredible things. But now Peter is going to be the guy that has to be the leader. He's going to be the guy that has to take over the ministry for Jesus. Imagine what's going through Peter's mind, surrounded by all these people. Just a while ago, he's an 18-year-old guy. He's got a simple fishing company. He's a teenager. He's left everything to be a follower of Christ. And now he's being told, Peter, you're the rock. You're the guy. I know you have no biblical training. I know you have no uh, word of prophecies. I know you don't have any of that. But you, my man, you're the guy. I'm going to start this ministry, but you're going to build it. For me, 
I'll be very honest. I hate preaching after Charles. I hate it because he's so good. He makes the word just, I mean, it's like, oh, you're so good. And it's so much pressure on me. It's so much pressure on Jern. It's so much pressure on, on Jacob because we realize Charles is like up here. And we kind of, we're down. Well, Jacob's down here. I'm more up here, right? I'm a little bit more, right? I'm picking. I'm picking. I love Jacob. I love Jacob. But no, you know how it is. Charles is on another level, and we get it. And that's pressure because we want to deliver. And here's this guy. Man, he's got all this pressure on him. They're surrounded. And Jesus says, who do you say I am? Me being me, I'm going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, man. Lower that voice. Cool, cool down. You know, these guys can hurt us. I don't weigh but a buck oh five. Right? Let's just chill. Whoa, keep it calm. These are the same people. And then uh, so we see that Jesus right now has put us in this uncomfortable situation. And when those, ki- when those times come when we're all in these situations, the questions that we have to ask is, who will we say he is? What does our life say that Christ is? Peter's in an uncomfortable place, and we've all been there. You've all been in that situation, like I told you last night. Now, Juan, here comes the joke. I need you to laugh if no one else does, all right? Me and Juan's got a connection going on. I was in a situation about 10 years ago where I literally wanted to run through a plate glass window. I wanted to run through a wall. I want, if it was a brick wall, I would have went through it. The situation is this. Me and Charles, we go visit my dad. This is before my dad got saved. And before my dad got saved, my dad drank like a fish. I mean, it was nothing for 12 o'clock noon. He is, we called it three sheets in the wind. Didn't have a clue what was going on in life. And that's just his life. That was his lifestyle before he got saved. And so me and Charles, we leave Asheboro. We get to Eden, North Carolina. And it's about 12 o'clock, 1230, somewhere in there. And I remember opening the door, and I was like, hey, Dad. And I can remember looking at my dad, and you got the, the blood red face where, oh, he's been in the bottle. He's been, he's, oh, it's not going to be good. And my dad, kind of like me, he's a sanguine, but when he drank a lot, he was a lover, right? He was a hugger. And so I come in, he's like, oh, man, I miss you so much. I love you. He's kissing on me, and he's, oh, I just, oh, you. You just, oh, you're the light of my world. I, oh, how, how, the, how the kids, and he's just loving me. And then Charles walks in. Charles! Oh, man, I love me some Charles. And he runs over, and he's hugging on Charles. And next thing I know, he kisses Charles on the cheek. And I'm sitting there going, man, I don't want to be here. Because I know my dad, when he gets like this, it gets out of hand. And so I can feel like, the hair, what little I got left, just growing and just standing up. And he looks at Charles and Ed, he looks at Charles and he says this, Charles, I got something new last night. And Charles goes, what was it? And you know Charles, he acts it on. What was it? I got me some Viagra. Now I have went like, you have got to be kidding me. And for the next 10 minutes, 
we have a conversation on what Viagra can do for the man. And so I am literally looking around this room like, how can I leave this situation? How can I get out of here? Until he finally looks Charles in the eye and says, I've got a couple extra if you need them. Because it looks like you do. <laughs> and I am like, what is happening at my house right now? My dad is offering my pastor Viagra. Who would want to switch and be in that situation with me? No one. I can imagine what I felt like is what Peter's going through and the disciples. They are so uncomfortable. And there are times where God is going to put you in some uncomfortable territories. And when those times come, are you going to have times in your life where you just like, God, you got to get me out of here. And when those times come, I found this quote, and I hope you like it. It says, remember who you are. In your spiritual walk, when these times come, remember who you are. Don't compromise for anyone, for any reason. You are a child of the Almighty God. Live that truth. Be that city on a hill. Be the salt of the earth. Be the one who is on fire that others come to watch you burn. God chose you just as he chose Peter because he has a purpose and a reason for your life. And even though you have flaws, God designs you with those flaws. I know what you're thinking. When it comes to flaws, man, we all got baggage. And some of us sit there and think, man, you don't know what I've been through in life. You don't know my baggage. You don't know my flaws. You don't understand what I'm going through. You're right, I don't, but I do know the one who does. I do know the one who can help you out of that. So we look at Peter. Peter had flaw after flaw after flaw. We see where God has put him in an uncomfortable situation, and now we're going to see where, where Peter has flaws. He's a simple fisherman who has undoubtedly been pretty routine until this moment. The more we learn about the Peter from the Gospels, the more we understand as a person, the more compelling he becomes. We can, we can identify with Peter because he's very enthusiastic. He's impulsive. Who's impulsive? My people. I love y'all. I love y'all. Do y'all know what a melancholic is? They're very routine. Who's very routine? I don't like y'all. I'm, I'm. So here's Peter. He's very impulsive. I kidding. I love y'all. He's very impulsive. Peter messes up. Time and time and time again. So we have to ask this question. Why did Christ choose Peter? A man who we know is prone to failure. A man who has all kind of flaws as the foundation on which to build the church. That's crazy when you go back and think about it, right? Why would Jesus... Choose the guy who fails the most through the Gospels to be the guy that he's going to build the church. 
Jesus naming Peter the rock contradicts all human reason. He didn't choose someone who had it all together. He didn't choose a priest or a rabbi. He didn't choose someone who was very charismatic. They had an incredible personality who was loved by everyone. But Jesus chose a guy who failed and failed and failed and failed again. But what Jesus saw was Peter had heart and he was very passionate, even though he could be irrational at times. I mean, let's go back to the Scripture. Start at verse 18 for me. Uh, Not verse 18. I'm sorry. My next set of Scripture, Spencer. Because remember, in verse 18, Jesus calls Peter the what? Calls him what? The rock. Time out. Side note. How many like WWE wrestling? Anybody? Jern? All right, I'm not using this joke because none of y'all watch it. It's no good. Throw that away. But... Man, I can't believe y'all don't watch wrestling. What do y'all do at night? Y'all read the Bible or something? That's good, that's good. But I always wondered, because I love The Rock is like my favorite wrestler. Who likes The Rock? I, I, I figured all the women's hands would go up, right? Oh, he's, oh. Well, but I could always imagine when Peter, you know, after he was called The Rock, did he walk into every town and be like, finally, The Rock has come back to Caesarea. I could imagine this guy doing it because, you know, he's out there, right? He's crazy. And so we see here in verse 18, Jesus calls Peter the what? The rock. Now we start at verse 20. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Jesus predicts his death. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter, who just got called, who was just a fisherman, has rebuked Jesus. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Time out. The day hasn't changed. We haven't went anywhere else. We're still in Caesarea. We're still where Jesus has asked them who they claim he is. We went three verses. And all of a sudden, Peter has went from the rock to get behind me, Satan. What just happened? Like I said, Peter's a sanguine. We love admiration. We love for people to tell us we've done an incredible job. Our self-esteem can get shot real quick. That's our personalities. That's our temperaments. So imagine what Peter just went through. You're the rock. Two minutes later, hey, Satan, wow. What just happened? Peter, like I did at youth camp, exposed his flaw. Peter showed he's impulsive. Peter showed sometimes we talk and we speak before we think. And that gets us in trouble. 
and I can relate to this. Peter is one of those guys who's so passionate at times, it cost him. See, we're talking about the temperaments, uh, and you guys are going to be getting it too. Peter is what we call a sanguine choleric. I'm a sanguine choleric. There's a Greek term for that. If you want to look it up in the Greek dictionary, it's called butthole. I mean, it's, it's just who we are. We think we do things before we think about it. And that's what Peter has done here. Peter has exposed his flaw. But here's the crazy part to me in this whole story of Peter's life. Peter chose, I mean, Jesus chose Peter knowing Peter was going to do that. Because nothing surprises God, right? God knows our, our entire life. So Jesus chose Peter knowing. I'm going to call him Satan in about 30 more seconds. Jesus knew Peter would have a fit of rage and cut a guy's ear off. I'm still going to choose this guy. Jesus knew Peter was going to be arrogant enough to say, I'm going to walk on water just like you are. And he still chose Peter. Jesus knew Peter would deny him three times because of low self-esteem. But guess what? Jesus still chose Peter. Jesus knew Peter would lash out at a young girl and curse her in front of people. He still chose him. Finally, Jesus knew on his deathbed, hanging on the cross at crucifixion, Peter would abandon him. And he still chose Peter. Peter has flaw after flaw after flaw after flaw after flaw. And he still chose him. God saw Peter's flaws. He saw his weaknesses. He saw his irrational behavior, his insecurities. And yet he still built the church on this guy. Imagine what God can build in your life. In your town and in your ministry, when you expose your flaws to Christ. When you say, man, I don't have it all together. I, I messed up here. But our, our thing is, our, our, our thought process is, we don't want people to know that we're flawed. We don't want people to see our weaknesses. Because one thing, this may not be true here. It's true at Foster Street. I told them. We won't expose our flaws and weaknesses at Foster Street because I don't trust the person I'm sitting beside of. And I proved it to them. We did our Easter week where we went Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Thursday night we had about 80 people. Our worship was incredible. And you could really sense God was moving. And it was, it was just It was great. Friday night, Jacob got up, preached the word, we did phenomenal. I mean, it was just intense, and you could just feel God moving. And it was a small crowd. Saturday night, same thing. And you could feel it, man. God is moving in this place. You could feel it. And so, man, I am pumped up because, man, it's been Thursday night. Everything's pumped. Friday night's pumped. Saturday night's pumped. Sunday's going to be Easter Sunday morning. The resurrection we're going to celebrate, this place is going to go off the charts. It's going to be amazing. The first song comes on. And they all had that, bless me if you can look. 
And what happened was our intimate setting of just a few people that, that trusted one another, now we brought their other friends in who they've grown up with. They know what I've been through in life. They know what I was like as a teenager. They know what I do during the week. And all of a sudden, those flaws and those weaknesses they, that they weren't afraid to expose when it was just a few, we put more people in there, and all of a sudden, I'm not worshiping here. I'm not exposing my flaw to you. I'm not exposing my weakness to you. And what we do is on Sunday mornings, we hide our insecurities behind this mask. And we want you to think we've got it all together. You want other people around you to think you've got it all together. And we've got to look at Peter's life and we've got to look at his example. We can't let one flaw or mistake in life cheat us out of all the incredible days that God has for us. And that's what we do on Sunday morning. We cheat God out of the blessings because we just can't seem to get past if I just open up my flaws and my weaknesses. God can do some incredible things in my life. And so what we do is we carry them around and we battle these inner demons and we want to look good and we have this sinful pride about us and we have this don't you dare, don't you ever find out that I have flaws in my life. Because I would rather let God down than let you know what my true image is. And so when we do that, we hinder worship. We hinder our prayer life. We hinder what can happen on Sunday mornings. And I get it. I get it, right? Sometimes we don't want to expose our flaws like Peter did because, man, if some of these people knew my flaws and weaknesses, they would use them against me. I get it. I totally understand that thought process. But you've got to remember this. Just as Jesus chose Peter, knowing everything he did, Jesus, Jesus still chose Judas, knowing Judas would betray him and set him a place at the table at the Last Supper. Knowing this guy's about to sell me out. This guy is about to betray me. This guy is the one who's going to hand me over. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to love him. I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to wash his feet. I'm going to be a servant to this guy tonight, knowing tomorrow he's going to sell me out for 30 pieces of silver. When we get tired of trying to hide our flaws, God will do incredible things. See, Jesus embraced Peter's flaws and he built the church on them. Imagine what he can do for us. God does not judge us by separate incidences or separate mistakes that we make, but by the total days that we live our lives. So this morning as we close, I said you're incredibly good looking, but what? You're flawed. And so this morning, you can look at your flaws, and you can hide them, and you can try to put a, a mask on, and that's great. But God's not going to use you. This morning, we're all flawed, and God wants to use our flaws and weaknesses to do incredible things through his strength and power. See, it's when we turn it over to God that his power and strength comes in, takes over, and does incredible things here at Central. When Jesus looks at you, he looks at a person like Peter. He sees a person of action who will follow their heart. This morning, as we pray, be that person. 
Be that person that follows your heart. Be that person that follows your passion. Don't be afraid to expose your flaws or your weaknesses. Because when those things happen and you truly open your heart up to God, God will do amazing things in your life. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this incredible scripture, Father. And we thank you for this incredible people here, God. And dear Lord, we're all flawed. And the crazy part is, God, you designed us that way. You designed us all with certain flaws. And the reason being, God, is you want us to hand those flaws over to you. And you want to use your strength and your power to do incredible ministry through our flaws. God, when we learn to accept that, and we learn to accept that, God, that you are the healer, you are the mighty one, God, we will do incredible things. Dear God, I pray that as we worship for the next few moments, God, that we are not afraid to expose anything, that we're not afraid to worship you in spirit and truth, God. Dear God, it is our hearts that you're looking at. It's It's not our hands. It's not our body motion. It's not the band. It's not the singers, God. You are looking at our heart, and you want to worship us in spirit and truth. Dear Lord, we love you. We give you all the praise.